Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, are grateful for this Lenten season uh, that you have put in place the structures that we need to prepare for the remembrance of your cross. And also, Lord, it is in the valley of that um, preparation that we are, we are prepared for the heights of your resurrection. So we just thank you for this journey, and particularly now as we enter into Holy Week, as we are we walk with you in remembrance. You are already resurrected, uh, but we are uh, remembering uh, what you went through for us. So thank you, and we just pray that you would open now your scripture, and that we would see um, you afresh, that we would see your mercy, your grace, uh, and how you would have us to walk in freedom, uh, the freedom that is offered to, you, to us by uh, the Spirit uh, of your resurrection. So we, we ask all these things for your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we have been looking at Galatians through Lent. Uh, and those are all online if you missed any and, are, and care to go back. Uh, the, I recognize that, that these types of classes are a little harder to listen to than, um, uh, than, what it, than like a sermon. Because there's interruptions and there's conversation. But uh, I hope it will be, be uh, fruitful for you um, if you were to go back. But... So what, what we have been seeing in, in Galatians, Galatians really uh, speaks about as clear as any book in the Bible about the role of the gospel message in the Christian life. So we look at the role of the law and the role of the gospel. Now, we might think of the gospel as the proclamation that gets someone into the family, right? Gets someone to faith. I, I realized for the first time the gospel that Jesus died for my sins, I, which means I'm a sinner and He's my Savior. And, and then we think, well, what, what does the gospel have to do with us now? Well, here's, you know, we might think, well, here's uh, how you have to live. Here are all the rules now that you've accepted the gospel. No, says Paul, uh, it's not that. But nor is it that there's, not, there's no consequence to the gospel in your life. The gospel is... Uh, we have Romans, the book of Romans is perhaps a fuller exposition of, of the whole gospel. Um, and then maybe Corinthians or uh, Philippians or, or um, Thessalonians deal with some of the issues. In, but, but Galatians really says, here is the role of the gospel in the Christian life. And so, um, it's not just the thing that gets us in the door. So it's not, we see in Galatians very clearly, it's not the law, and then the gospel. In other words, you, uh, which is to say you do all these things and then God gives His favor to you. It's not the law first, then the gospel, um, unless the law is con- sort of crushing us and we need a Savior. But it's not if you do the law, then you will gain favor. Not the law, then the gospel. Nor is it the gospel, then the law, as if God loves you, therefore get your act together. Right? So... It's just gospel. It's just gospel. So rules are fine, um, but we have moved, Paul says, essentially, we have moved from an employee-employer relationship, sort of slave and master relationship, to a father-child relationship. So the rules don't dictate, uh, or they don't put a condition on, the love that we receive from our father. So, let me uh, read... Uh, chapter 6, and in fact, as you will see, I have, um, I have included the last few verses of chapter 5. 
I don't think, I think, and I'm not alone in this, some commentators would agree, I don't think that uh, whoever put the, the chapters and verses in did us any favors, and that was in about the 14 or 1500s, so it wasn't Paul. I don't think they did us any favors by where they put chap, had chapter 6 beginning. I think it begins with uh, verse 25, or perhaps 26, but... But certainly not. I, I, I think if you read it with just beginning with chapter 6 where it has it, I think it looks like a bunch of Proverbs that are sort of just like, okay, Paul said what he really wants to say. Now he's just throwing a bunch of, he's got, you know, he's got some nails. He's built the house, but he's got some nails left over. So he just, he's just throwing them in to, to see if, uh, it, just to make sure he uses everything up. Um, he is, uh, no, I think it actually uh, hangs together very well. It, it is... Um, it is a, a natural outworking of what he's been teaching, if particularly we put it in the context of verses 25 and 26 of chapter 5. So, so I've got the whole, I've got started in verse 22, so let me start there. Where are we? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's the context. That's what he has uh, talked about, freedom there. And then he's, here's the transition. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. All right. So, Paul began verse 5, if you remember. uh, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the articulation of that freedom is in the fruit of the Spirit. That God is not, he said, the works of the flesh. And he lists lots of things that sound really bad until we realize we've done a lot of those things. Um, And then... But it's not the works of the Spirit, it's the, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what He plants the seed of faith within us and it grows these things. Now I will tell you after, what's this year, 19, uh, uh, 20, 2018, <laughs> so 28 years of walking with Christ, um, I wish it would grow faster, the fruit of the Spirit. I think I could have looked at my life then and thought, yeah, I got some things that need changing. And and but projected 28 years down the road and think, I'm sure I'll have it. I'll have it. Uh, I have it in pretty good order by then. <laughs> Patience. <laughs> so the fruit of the spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Now, there's been lots of studies, and you may have been part of studies that have gone through each one of those and really dug in and exposited what each one of those uh, things uh, means. But suffice it to say that that is what God grows in us, not because we are compelled to keep them, but because it is just what He transforms us into. And it actually describes Him. It describes Jesus, right? Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh. It means you just they put it to death. It doesn't mean it's obviously been nailed on a cross. But actually, throughout chapter 6, when he talks about being crucified, it means it's, it's put to death with intention. We've crucified our passions and desires. It doesn't mean we're not passionate people as Christians. But it's our self-indulgence. Um, and from an identity standpoint, from a spiritual fulfillment standpoint, we are full of the Spirit. That's what's true about us. Now, the Christian life is learning to live as if that's true. But we are, in Christ, full of Christ. So we don't need things to fill us up like affirmation and security and uh, peace or tranquility or things. Don't we, of course, still seek after those things? But again, we're learning to live in our lives as if those things don't fill us up. Now, so here's the transition then. So here's what is true. God grows these things in us. Here's the, the transition from what has been done for us and done in us now uh, to what gets done through us. Here's how the gospel works itself out in our lives and especially in our relationships. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, that is, if we are alive, if we have new life, been born again by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That is, you know, we talk about our walk, how's your walk with Jesus? Or maybe you don't talk like that, but you used to when you went to another church. But, um, <laughs> but, but that's what this means. Like how we keep in step with the Spirit. That can be our uh, Episcopal code. Um, but the, um, keep, are you keeping in step with the Spirit? I don't know. That, that doesn't sound very Episcopalian. But, um, but, the, but it is because it's biblical, right? Keep um, in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is, I think, the frame of everything he's getting ready to say in chapter 6. 
So, so if we are living according to that, we've been, we've been saved by the Spirit, now we let us live in accordance with the will and the guidance of that Spirit. And that's what the Christian life is, right? We're learning to live uh, into what is already true about us. What is true about you? You are holy. You cannot be more holy in Christ than you are right now. You are in Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ upon you. You are, uh, when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. You can't get more righteous than that. It's that you, so we, that is what is already true. What is not yet true about you? You are not in heaven. <laughs> and therefore, you, you live between that already and not yet. And so we are learning to live into what is true about us, that we are holy and righteous in Christ. So let us not become conceited. Does anybody have a? I don't see any. Does anybody have a King James open? We'll follow. You know what the word there is in King James? Vainglory. Let us not become vainglorious. When's the last time you used that in casual conversation at a cocktail party? <laughs> oh, I'm just feeling a little vainglorious these days. Um, it is Lent after all. So the, the Greek word there is. Uh, what is it? Kinodoxos. Um, doxos, you can hear doxology, praise, glory. Kino means empty. I mean, it's, it's a vain glory. It's actually a pretty literal translation of the promise. We don't use that word in our conversation. But it means that I am, um, I am after uh, fulfillment. And, but I'm, I'm trying to be filled by things that will not fill me. And think about your own life. How, how many... How many people have to tell you you did a good job for you to have heard that enough? A thousand. A thousand. You get a thousand. Oh, a thousand. That's it. I don't need any more. I saw a. Uh, do you know who, anybody here know who Kanye West is? Yeah. Okay, so I saw. Um, I saw the Onion is a satirical newspaper, and it said there was an article uh, a few years ago that said Kanye West has suddenly received all the affirmation he needs. <laughs> He retired to a retired Kanye West unexpectedly retires to a, sw- a, a small cottage uh, on the plains of Nebraska. He said, "I've suddenly found fulfillment." Uh, it, was, it was hilarious. I thought. Um, so here, here's what uh, John. I'm sort of here's what John Stott uh, says. John Stott, of course, the the late great Anglican uh, divine. He talks about he says, provoking one another, envying one another. Provoking one another, the word there is um, challenge. This is how we are fi- trying to fill this vaingloriousness. Uh, so we're provoking, we're, cha- we're challenging uh, s- somebody. How, why would you challenge somebody to kind of prove your worth? Or maybe to, you know, in, as Christians we say, hey, brother, I, just, I need to speak the word to you in love, right? And if somebody says to you, I just need to speak the truth to you and love. Run, right? Run. Um, they, um, unless you really trust them. Um, why, why would we provoke one another? Oh, I mean, that's what the, these Judaizers, these circumcision party, that's what they're doing, right? They're provoking. Why would they do that? Because they feel superior, right? They have a superiority complex. They, um, they feel like they need to prove that they are high and mighty. So why would you envy one another? Because you have an inferiority complex, right? You're jealous. So that you see somebody, oh, they've got it together, and I am, uh, and I don't, and that makes me upset. I'm jealous. I'm envious. And Paul says that either one of these is a real problem. Superiority 
or uh, complex or inferiority complex because all we're doing is comparing ourselves to other people over and over again. Anybody else compare themselves to other people? Yeah, yeah, well, a few honest people. Um, the, um, we're constantly uh, comparing ourselves to others. Uh, and and but Paul, the reason Paul is um, encouraging us to put away this vaingloriousness, this uh, what the what the uh, ESV that I have in the English Standard Version has uh, translated as conceit, or it might be better as self-conceit, self-conceited, uh, just to get that. But it's what's happening here is that we have uncorked the vacuum in our heart. God made us with. You might hear uh, Saint Augustine or uh, Pascal or any uh, preacher who tries to sound smart talking about the God-shaped hole in their heart, right? That God made us with that, uh, this vacuum that He is the only one who can fill it up, right? He's, he's the cork. He's put, this, he's put Himself in that hole. That is, that's what we're made for. When, when the, what the fall has done has removed Him. And now it's just this vacuum just, just sucking everything in that we can possibly do in order to try to fill that hole. You are made to be filled with uh, God and God's Word and God's well-done, good and faithful servant and God's declaration that you are my child, my beloved. So when we, when we turn away from God, the, that's the, the fall, our, our natural, the human condition, um, the fall, it has uncorked that. So we're just trying to fill itself and it can't be done. And every relationship is now approached subconsciously. Uh, what can I get from you? What can I get from you? Whenever I do premarital counseling, this is one of the very first things that we talk about. We really we just we start with the gospel, but we talk about how every movie that you have ever watched, and most relationships that you every you know like romantic comedy or or um, any dramatic thing, uh, someone approaches uh, someone approaches the um, uh, this relationship. I am here because you make me happy. All right. Uh, in a, in a marital, I'm here because, because of what you do for me, which is why marriages end so often, because you have ceased to do for me what I thought we had made a contract that you were going to continue to do for me. And Christians understand that completely opposite. And, and I don't know where, I mean, there's a lot of people probably in this room who have gone through divorce, and for all sorts of reasons, so I'm not, I'm not trying to Take that. You can you can see if this you can put this on and see if it fits or not. But um, but to say when we come to a relationship that says, "What can you do for me? You make me happy." We are coming as consumers, right? And just like when you are you know you got a business contract with your lawn guy, what can you do for me? I'm paying you to make my lawn look good. If you cease to make my lawn look good, I'm going to leave you and and find another lawn guy. That that's um, that's, that is an appropriate contract, right? That's what you're paying them to do. But our relationships don't work like that, and especially our marriage relationships. We are, we're coming because we're coming to say, what can I give to you? I, I am actually signing up to die to myself for your fulfillment. Now, if, you, if only one of you does that, that's oppressive and it's not a good relationship. But if both do that, then it is a beautiful picture of Christ and His church. So I'm dying to myself. That is, I'm no longer, the only way we can do that is if, we're, if, if that hole has been corked. <laughs> and if I try to get my wife to cork it, it's, it's I mean, it, well, let's just say it's going to suck. 
right? It's a vacuum. Um, I mean that in a technical sense, um, sort of. But the, um, the um, so I mean there are all sorts of ways that this these can uh, uh, all sorts of unhealthy ways that these two things, the inferiority complex or the superiority complex, can work itself out in the life of the Christian. We are uh, we are learning to um, to. That's what the Christian life is, to say, I get all that I need in that sense from God, and now I can come to a relationship, a friendship, a church. What can I give to you? As a, at working out what I have been given uh, in Christ. So the gospel puts the cork back in. Um, the gospel has already, so for, to, to solve the superiority complex, the gospel has already humbled you to the dust and declared that you are nothing. Right? I'm not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. Right? The gospel has humbled us to the dust and said, despite what you think about yourself, you are a sinner and you cannot reach God by your good works and you need a savior. And in addition, it solves the inferiority complex because it says, you're a son or a daughter of the king. I mean, if Christ is for me, who can be against me? You are loved by grace. So both complexes are solved in the gospel. So stop looking at yourself. If you keep looking at yourself, you're going to think, well, I, I, can't, I can't stand this. I've got to look at other people. Don't quit looking. Look up. Look to God. Look to Jesus and what He's done. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? So look to, look to Jesus and what He's done. Stop comparing yourself to others as better or worse because you're measuring every relationship now through your relationship with Christ. What did Christ do for you? He gave Himself up. So how are you going to treat others? I mean, I'm not saying no healthy boundaries, but I'm saying, oh, at least our default, we learn to give, we're saying we're giving ourselves up. So now the gospel prepares you as you enter into uh, relationships. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so see, now, now he's given us a, a real concrete situation here. Anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So he's not saying you who are the elite Christians. He's saying you who keep in step with the Spirit. Right? That's that's if you live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, that you're spiritual. You're you're Christian. He's just talking about Christians. So our job, if you're caught, if someone is caught in a transgression, do we if we have a superiority conflict? complex. We will say, can you believe that guy? I mean, really? Uh, I don't even want anything to do with someone like that because I'm a Christian, right? And I, I, I want, I can't be tainted. Like, that's just going to, that's going to mess up my walk. So I need to, um, or what if you have an inferiority complex? Well, that's not fair. He got that and he still gets to go to church. You know, like, like he, got, he got away with that. Maybe I could get away with that too. And now you're just playing all these weird games. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Why, why can you be gentle with someone like this? I'll give you a hint. It's in 522. Nope, I'm sorry, 23. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. 
So that's why you can restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You, you don't need to compare yourself to this person. You can look at sin and say, I know what that is because I have it. And brother, let me tell you, sister, let me tell you where to find hope. I mean, it's just, the, these, we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread, right? We found it. We know where the bread house is. He's the bread of life. And so we're, we're saying, hey, come along with me. Um, keep watch on yourself. For you're not tempted. Either to fall into the same transgression or uh, to judge. Bear one another's burdens. So this isn't a separate proverb. I think this is, this is a continuation of the thought in verse 1. If they're caught in transgression. I mean, anybody, you know what it's like to have a secret? It's like carrying a couch on your shoulder uh, and on your back as you're walking around. How does that work? How do, you're lugging around a couch? That, that's not, that doesn't last very long, right? It's, cr- it's a crushing weight. That's the burden that we're talking about. But what happens so if somebody else comes along and you take one end and the other, t- somebody takes the other end? It's a little lighter, isn't it? Somebody comes on the side and on the other side. Now it's not a 100-pound couch. Now it's a 50-pound couch. Now it's a 25-pound couch. Somebody, two other people come along. So we're sharing the load. We're sharing uh, the burden. And so uh, we're, walking with, we're walking with them. We're restoring them in a spirit of gentleness. Because really, I mean, you wake up one morning and think, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to have an affair. I mean, like, <laughs> no. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a awful thing. I mean, I think about all, just, let's just, just think about pastors. And, and man, it's easy to drag. We've got a lot of pastors who have, who have you know, what we call fall from grace and just, you know, that guy doesn't wake up or that gal doesn't wake up one morning and think, I'm gonna, today I'm going to sink the last 20 years of my life. I'm just going to, everything I've worked for, I'm just going to sink it today. That's, that's not what we're doing. This is what, what Paul is describing here is bearing one another's burdens, this restoring uh, us in a spirit of gentleness. This is what is commonly called, uh, in, we don't do it a lot in the Episcopal Church, church discipline. This is, uh, we, this, he's not talking about forming a committee for church discipline. There's some churches that I know that they've, um, we, we had, in Alabama, there's a church down the road that had a church discipline committee. We had a lot of their former members. Um, I mean, it's not that the church shouldn't be involved in, in restoring. But, I mean, when the church comes on and says, oh, no, it's not heard about you. I mean, that's, that's not great. But if the church does know, then we need to come alongside you and help you. And I need for you to come alongside me and help me. Now, if I wake up and decide to have an affair one day, y'all need to fire me. But I hope you will do so, not with good riddance, but with a plan to, um, for counseling and for restoration. Not restoration maybe to this position particularly, but, but for restoration to the body of Christ. You kick me out because I'm a jerk. I mean, that's what I deserve. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. Don't read anything into that. <laughs> I'm humbling myself. Gentleness, just remember gentleness. Right. Um, the goal is always restoration. The goal is always restoration. When a relationship is broken, when a person is broken, it's always restoration. That's the goal. That they would take Christ's yoke upon them again. What did Christ say about His yoke? Take my yoke upon you before my, um, my burden is easy. Right? My, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's what Paul is saying. 
it is for freedom Christ has set you free. This is, this is Christ's yoke. That's freedom. It's not the absence of constraint. It's the right constraint. It's like you don't tell a fish, hey, you're free. You can leave the aquarium. <laughs> They're not free. They need that constraint, right? And, but Paul does say something strange. Gosh, I need to, get, I need, whew, I need to keep going. Um, he does say something strange. He says, after he said bear one another's burdens, he said each one has to bear his own load. How do we, how do we reconcile that? Is Paul speaking out of two different sides of his mouth? I, I don't think so. I think what Paul is saying is that everyone is responsible for himself before God. We all have to answer. And if we have not shared our burdens, that is, if we are too proud to, to share our sin, or we're too stuck up to help someone in their sin, then we've got to account for that. I think that's what he's saying. Uh, his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. That we, that's, I mean, that's the goal, is that we can say, look how much God has done in me, not look at Bill and how much God still needs to work in Bill. So, I mean, that's, we're not, um, we're not, that the, the boast here, the ultimate boast is in the cross of Christ, which we're going to get to. So, let me, uh, golly, i got to get going. Uh, verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, we really want to spend some time on that verse. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I, y'all do a great job. I, I take home a lot of leftovers. Thank you uh, very much. But um, essentially what he is saying is uh, be generous. Uh, have a generosity of your spirit. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that paragraph for another time so I can get to the final, uh, the final thing. But again, the, the gospel is continually working itself out as, as a dying to self and a living to Christ. Interestingly, especially those who are of the household of faith. That's something to chew on. We expect Paul to say, as evangelism, to, to help those who are not of the household of faith. But if you're not taking care, if we're not taking care of our own, we're not that we're not ready. All right. See with what large letters I'm writing to you. Verse eleven. So Paul is speaking. Um, now he's he's had a scribe the whole time. Now he's he's taking it upon himself to write in his own. And he, but, you know we know he, he said I had an eye problem. That's why I stopped over in Galatia. Remember that. And now, so he's writing in huge letters. He's kind of making fun of himself. He's saying those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, that is, who would wave their resume before God and say, look how much we've done, that they're going to force you to be circumcised, you're going to end up being another notch in their belt. Um, look, how, look at me, Lord. For even those who are circumcised don't themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised so they can boast in your flesh. I know, I know, I didn't honor my parents, but look, look how many people I, I helped get get circumcised or or whatever it is. And Paul says, "Far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." So boasting is like a, a it was act, a boast was a military term, and we don't. It's like a pep talk. It's it's where I get my confidence. You know, if you're if you're, um, you know, Texas Tech uh, today or Florida State today, they're gonna the coach is gonna say, "You're you're you can do it. Nobody else believes in you, but I believe in you. And you, we're big enough, we're tall enough, we're fast enough, and doggone it, people like us." Um, you know, I, I think that, that it is really 
Um, and those, those are good things. I, I mean, I want to give a, I like, I like a good pep talk. But if we go, if we go out into the, the courts of our Christian life and think, I'm big enough, I'm tall enough, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, then, then I, am, um, I am putting all my boast in myself. The, the boast is what you have confidence in. You look, think about social media. Look at my closet. Here, I, had the best, I, I have the best husband ever. Um, my wife has never posted that on Facebook. Um, I mean, that's just because she doesn't have a Facebook account. But, um, but you know, the faint sort of Stuart Smalley, and I've already quoted him a couple times from Saturday Night Live, look in the mirror, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. It's just boasting. It's where you gain your confidence. It's where you're putting your trust in uh, before you charge ahead. And Paul is saying, is ending his letter by saying this to, that the circumcision party is urging them to boast in what they have accomplished and how they have followed the law rather than in the cross of Christ. And urging them to follow the law in order to boast before the Lord. If you have any confidence that God ought to accept you, then you have too much confidence in yourself. And I hear this all the time. And I'm, I mean, a pastor, I'm not going to correct them. I hear it all the time as we're planning a funeral. Well, if anybody deserves to get in, it's my mama. And I just want to say, if she deserved it, then we're in trouble. But I don't say that. I mean, you think about like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. They come, why are they coming to your door? It's not because they love you. It's because they have to. Do, it's they have to. It's because they are bound to. And if they, the more they can get to come to church, then they might be a part of the 144,000. That's the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have to go out. And Paul says, Far be it from me that my boast, far be it from me that my confidence, the thing that I put my trust in as I charge ahead, would be anything other than what Jesus has done for me. Full stop. In my hand, no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, come to thee for grace. What is the rest? Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Right? Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Nothing, Paul says, nothing but new creation counts for anything. The last thing he ends with for, from now on let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the bo- uh, bear on my body the marks of Jesus the word for marks is stigmata um, either he's talking about the actual marks of persecution which he certainly would have had he got stoned he got beaten and lashed in other words I've, su- I've suffered for my faith so don't let those people say that I am just peddling easy believism Maybe. More likely, he's speaking figuratively. The stigmata was the, was the mark that a slave had to, to show who his owner was. And I bear that. I belong, I'm a slave for Christ. And Him only. Amen. That's what he says. I wish we had time for questions uh, and everything, but this has been, to me anyway, I, I hope it has been to you a fascinating study. We'll be back after Easter. We won't be on uh, next week. Um, I'll be gone, but I think we'll have a we'll have a guest. I've got a got a plan for that, and then we will. Um, I'll be back here the week after the week after Easter. God bless you. See you in church.